0: As you may have noticed from our sign outside, uh, I like to have fun with stuff sometimes, so not having my phone, I am so upset because I've had three, since I've had that sign out there, I've had three voicemails on the church's mailbox, and it's all three of them of people saying, uh, you might want to change your sign because I think I know what you're saying, but it doesn't sound right. It just seems like it's wrong. It's just, yeah, because the one lady goes. I mean, I know it says you love her, you love hurting people, but it sounds like you like hurting people every Sunday. And I called her back and I said, hey, I, I, "This is Pastor Jay from First Baptist Church in Marshall. I'd like to thank you for your concern. The body of Christ needs people to be vigilant. And it's like, I also invite you to show up to our uh, service on Sunday because it is about misunderstandings. <laughs> So we are in the third week of misunderstandings, and there are several different types of misunderstandings we've dealt with. We've dealt with misunderstandings when it comes to people's perception of religion, or of a religion in particular, and a lot of that misunderstanding is our fault as Christians because we do a real good job of making sure people know what we don't like, but we do a lot less of making sure people know what we do like. And we need to do a lot better job of that. In the United States of America, the church, between Catholic, Catholic charities, non-denominational charities, all kinds of charity work, they collect about 8% of the money that is taken for the purpose of going to help people. 8%. Government takes close to 90% of that and claims it's going to go to people. Other various charities are in there also. 91% of all of the money that makes it directly to the people, whether it be through service, work, help, direct, actually giving to people, whatever it is, food banks, whatever. 91% of all the help that people ever receive come from religious organizations. People don't know that. People would sit there and think, well, the government takes all this money from us, so clearly they're helping people. No. Even if the intention is good, that doesn't mean that's what's happening. Because bureaucracy is bureaucracy. It exists to extend itself. Mm -hmm. It's sad to say if, you know, the reason why people who build houses are not bureaucrats is because your house would never be finished. Because the second it's finished, you're out of a job. Therefore, it can never get done. Therefore, you can't ever feed everybody in America because then there's nobody... To pay, be paid to claim they're feeding everybody in America. Unless the church does it. Unless charities do it. And that's why it works the way that it does. Now, again, that's the reason why we don't like bureaucracy when it comes to you think about it, you'll go to like New York City where they're talking about it's been like 15 years trying to get a park renovated. And in the meantime, a public park. And in the meantime, they've actually demolished and created like 15 different parks. With like the Lutheran, Lutheran charities. In the same time, it's taken them to try and do one by the government. Why? Because it's not a bureaucracy. It's just trying to help people out. Give kids a place to live. Give kids a place to go play instead of doing drugs or being on the streets. We are for things, but we do a whole lot better job of telling people what we're against than what we're for. We need to make sure that people know what we're for. We're for people. God is for people. Christ is for people. We're for people. But so we, we need to do a better job of that. But that creates misunderstandings. There's also misunderstandings in whether it be, and again, this is the fault of the people generally. Oh, well, the Bible's misogynistic, or it, it you know, doesn't like women. God's the author of the Bible, and he likes women just fine. If, we're, if it sounds like that, God does, you know, something in the Bible sounds like he doesn't like women, that's our fault. Because we're not, we're not doing it. I am... I am convinced enough of this book that if there's something in here that doesn't make sense or one's contrary to what the nature of God is I believe that it's my error and I just don't I just don't understand it yet and I'll keep looking and figure out why because I I have enough faith in God that he would tell us how it truly is whether I understand it or not so we, we have misunderstandings. We also have misunderstandings, again like that, like the sign. You say one thing, somebody hears something else. You forget a comma, and it sounds completely different. It's that meme that goes on and says, one comma is the difference between, hey, let's go eat grandma, and hey, let's go eat grandma. <laughs> One little comma changes a whole no. lot of things and avoids a whole lot of problems. So there's misunderstandings. But then there's also misunderstandings in in personal relationships. And that's what we're going to deal with today, is misunderstandings in personal relationships. Generally these relate these misunderstandings happen because of different personalities. Personalities tend to clash in their too different and sometimes even what makes the best partnerships also causes it to be volatile and eventually come apart Mm -hmm. because where the one person feel, the one person fills in where the other person is missing. But the reason why the person's missing it is because they don't deal with that well. So therefore there's going to be an automatic clash of something. There's something, some overlap, some problem. They're too different than me. They think differently. They speak differently. There's always going to be that. So, a lot of times there are these there are these divisions among people that are solely based upon personality. It's just person the person didn't do anything wrong. The person didn't say, you may think they did well, I wouldn't have done that. You maybe you wouldn't, but there's multiple ways to do things sometimes, and sometimes it's your preference. But but sometimes the split is so severe that the best thing you can do is to divide. Don't stay together and make make a fool. Yeah out of the gospel, go your separate ways. So with that, we are going to pray, and then we're going to start talking about Paul and Barnabas. It's about our heads today. Dearly Father, I thank you for this day for this time. May you be with me, be with my words. May they have purpose, have meaning, be short and concise, (coughs) and land directly on the hearts of these people so that they can hear what needs to be heard, get what needs to be gotten, they can be fed, they may go out into the world and be good stewards of what you've given them in understanding what our place is in this life. May we ask all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ, amen. So Paul and Barnabas, I've kind of gone over Paul quite a few times, he's one of my favorite people in the Bible. Paul, of course, was born to a Jewish mother, so of course, like it's obvious. <laughs> he was born to a Jewish mother and a Roman father. So he's Jewish by descent because that's, they, they determine Judea, if you're Jewish or not by based upon your mother's side, or Hebrew, I guess, by your mother's side. And then because his father is Roman, he was also a Roman citizen. That gave, gave him a, something a lot of people didn't have. It gave him protections of the Roman government And it also gave him the ability to go into synagogues and work with the Jewish people and become one of the most respected Pharisees of his day. He was it. I mean, he got, he went in and said, told people, hey, give me letters so I can travel anywhere in the entire entire kingdom, anywhere in the entire empire. And they wrote him letters and said, go at it. And he went through and he, they say he was a reign of terror on the church. He destroyed the church killed people, all kinds of stuff. God saw in him that the very same thing that would lead him to be that vicious Christian-hating terrorist is the very same thing that would drive him, once he was changed, to be the greatest evangelist that's ever walked the planet. Because he was relentless. He was relentless. He had a bit of an attitude. He he seemed like he, he... tended to argue with people a little bit, maybe a little too much, but he was relentless. He was brilliant beyond brilliant. And he was relentless. Everything he did, just go, go, go with no fear. Now we have Barnabas. We, in Acts 4.36, which we're not going to go there, says that his real name was Joseph. He was a Levite living on Cyprus. And the apostles, he was, he was of such a character that the apostles immediately accepted him in. Just come on in, man. Um, Barnabas, bar meaning son. Nabas meaning encouragement. The son of encouragement. It is like the ultimate way of saying he was just endlessly positive. He saw the best in everyone. He saw the best in every situation. He was endlessly encouraging and positive. Just love flowing from him. Just nobody has a bad word to say about the guy. Just one of those types of people. So they call him Barnabas, so that they can. And back then, so many people had similar names. There's a hundred thousand Johns just in like a single chapter of the Bible. Sometimes they would give them surnames so they could distinguish them out between who they are. So they gave him Barnabas. He immediately became numbered with the apostles, and then went to work building the church. At the exact same time, Paul went to work destroying the church. After Paul's conversion, he moves around a little bit. He ends up going up and spending time in the Arabian desert with communing with Christ, with Jesus, before he finally goes up and, and starts trying to build the church, to do the work that God called him to do. Now, in the ninth chapter, in the 26th verse of Acts, we see that it says, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and believed not he was a disciple. I mean, you understand that too. I mean, he's he was the first, he, his decree killed was the first martyr. Stephen died because Paul said kill him. And from that point on, it opened up a bloodbath. Now some seven years later, ten years later, he's going to come back and say, I'm one of you now. And they were like, nope. <laughs> nope, sorry, but no. 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him, when Christ had spoken to Paul, and how he, Paul, had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming and going out of Jerusalem. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and then sent him forth to tarsus He so Paul comes in, and this is how tenacious, how outspoken Paul was. He showed up in Jerusalem. He was there 15 days, according to his own words. He went there, and he was there for 15 days, because he could be there no longer, because they were going to kill him, because he was relentless. He walked in, and he started preaching the gospel boldly in places he wasn't supposed to preach it, and saying it, and he, was, or he would go into the synagogues and dispute openly with the Jewish leaders. Paul... Was relentless. And Barnabas said, in his endless positivity, said, we can trust him. I know it. I know it. We can trust him. He's, he's a good man. I, I promise you. He's a good man. And because of that, he started to preach. They gave him like a little leeway, and immediately he caused a problem. with, with throughout. And they, they, they wanted to kill him. The authorities wanted to kill him. 31 says, of course, in 30 it says that he went to Caesarea, and then they sent him to Tarsus. It says, when had then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplied. Many when Paul came in, suddenly the churches, they felt they felt like, you know what, we can do this. They were scared before, they were worried before. He showed up, preached his sermons, did his thing, and they said, You know what, we can do this. So Paul came in and made difference. Instantly made a difference. Let's jump forward to uh, a couple pages to Acts 11. Acts 11 and verse 22 says now this, the part we jumped: is Peter having an experience with God where God tells him not to call the Gentiles unclean and that he's allowed to the gospel's not going to the Gentiles. So in Acts eleven twenty two it says, Then tidings of these things came to the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all, that with purpose of heart uh, they would cling to the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and many people were added to the Lord. So where Barnabas went, he talked people up, positive, endless, people just wanted to follow. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught many people, and the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, first I want to point out too that Christian was not a positive term at the time. It was actually a mocking term. Little Christs, they, they would say it mockingly. Oh, you're little Christs, okay. You know, so that's actually and kind of like Yankee or whatever, it, it became a moniker. So okay, all right, fine. We're Christians. So, but you see what happened. Barnabas, they were like, listen, something's going on up north, Barnabas, go check it out. Barnabas went up and he's converting more people. And then when the two of them got together, right in the heart, in Antioch, in the heart of pagan idolatry, the church flourished, just flourished. So we're going to jump forward to Acts twelve twenty five. 25. And this is where uh, they decide that they're going to you know, come back to Jerusalem and do this whole thing. It says, "And Barnabas and Saul returned from from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark." That is John Mark. That is the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. That is Barnabas's cousin? He wrote the Gospel of Mark, and that's they brought him along with them. He was a young kid at the time, very young kid, and they decided they were going to try and do a ministry, do a mission. So they went ahead and they're going to bring him with them. So we're going to continue on in the first verse of the next chapter 13. It says, now they were in the church. Excuse me. Now they were in the church that was at Antioch, certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon, who was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manion, which had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch of Saul. How about that? One of the king's own friends was converted and was uh, currently working as a prophet with them. Two, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereto I have called thee. And And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent him away. So they being sent forth by the Holy Ghost departed to Seleucia and then from there they sailed to Cyprus and when they were at uh, Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had, and they had also John to their minister. So that means helper. He was, he was there to, to help them out. And when they had gone through the Isle of Pathos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet of the, a Jew whose name was Bar-Jesus. Now, you know what, I'm going to skip this part just because it's not important, but Bar-Jesus, this was a, a guy who, by the way, Bar-Jesus, son of Jesus. Um, but he, this was a guy who was tr- claiming to have special powers and, and whatnot. But they end up converting his sidekick. We're going to jump forward to the 13th verse because that's important. It says, Now when Paul and his company lo- were loosed from Pathos, they came to Pergam and to Pamphylia, and John departed from them and returned to Jerusalem. Now that departed is a nice way of saying he got homesick. He left in a hurry. So they, the reason why there was three of them is because you need somebody to help carry the, you know, the sacks. You need somebody to help move with you. You need somebody to, 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 and especially a young lad, with you to just, you know, here, you can carry this. We can Paul was helping pay their way by being a tent maker. Barnabas doesn't say he did any job. He was a Levite, so chances are he didn't actually do much. No way of being handy, but but John Mark was brought with them to to help them carry stuff to help be labor, and he left them very early on in the process. So he goes ahead and leaves. We're gonna jump forward to chapter fifteen. And believe me, the parts we're jumping are not we're not jumping them because they're not great. They're amazing to read. It's just that it's long, and I just I'm trying to make a point of what of what's happening here. So the 15th chapter, the first verse says, And certain men which came down to Judea uh, taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised, after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputed with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other men should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. Now, they go through, and this is what's commonly known as the Jerusalem Council, meaning the original apostles get with the other apostles, and they talk about it. They say, what's going on here? What are, You're telling people they don't have to get circumcised, they don't have to be Jewish? What is this all about? And Paul basically says, they don't. It doesn't do anything. And, <laughs> and tells them, listen, just proclaiming the gospel, the Gentiles are getting saved. And filled with the Holy Ghost, James, the brother of Jesus, and Peter, say, you know what? I think you're right. We agree with this. You don't have to worry about telling the Gentiles that they have to be circumcised first; they have to become Jewish first. You don't have to do any of that. The twenty-second uh, verse says, "Then it pleased the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, surnamed Barsabbas, and Silas, chief among men among the brethren." So. They're adding to them. They're saying, okay, you know what? You're doing such a good job. We're going to send a few more people with you. See if we can get more people saved. See if we can keep building this church up. So we're going to jump forward to the 34th verse. It says, Notwithstanding, it pleased Silas to abide there still. Meaning he wanted to stay. Paul also and Barnabas continued in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others. And some days after Paul said to Barnabas, let us go again and visit the brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another, and so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and departed, being recommended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Caesarea, confirming the churches. So you see what happened here, over John Mark, which you can understand Barnabas, first of all, he's endlessly positive, he's endlessly encouraging. And he's saying, no, I trust John Mark. I think we can take him. I think he's fine. Paul said, no, I fooled once. I'm not doing it again. And they fought. And they fought over it. And they argued over it. And it was so sharp that two of the greatest evangelists, the greatest evangelist team they'd ever seen. There's no, nothing in the, in the book of Acts lends us to believe Paul ever had the same amount of success after splitting with Barnabas that he had before greatest evangelizing team was split over something as simple as, hey, let's bring the kid along too. And they couldn't get over it. Think about how John Mark felt. That because of him, they split up. They, they split. And he was a young guy. He was not older like the rest of them who were up towards their 40s. He was, he was, a, young, he was a young kid at the time. And he split them up. It was sharp. It was so sharp that they decided to go in opposite directions. They started basically and went in a big circle, going west across the the water and then coming back around through. Basically, Barnabas went with this head. They said they couldn't decide. And so Barnabas said, okay, fine. I'm going this way and I'm going to confirm these churches. And Paul said, okay, fine. I'm going that way. And they went. So Paul went back the way they came. And Barnabas went the original way, so that they would go up, and it says they never even met back. It never mentions them meeting up again, so we don't know what happened with that. We do know through historical accounts that Barnabas lived a long life, wrote many books, many writings, was a very you know, influential person in the church for a long time, the rest of his natural life. Paul, we know Paul. I mean, he went through, ends up meet, having an audience with Nero. And, you know, ends up dead because of it. But the greatest evangelistic team ever, Barnabas, who had said, filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost. And they had a dissension so sharp, they split over it. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes the split, the, the, the difference is so bad, you can't help but split because you're going to make a fool out of God's ministry if you don't do anything yeah. else. Yeah. Sometimes you have to split. It's sad. It shouldn't happen often. If it keeps happening over and over and over, there's a problem, and it find the common denominator. But if it happens, it happens. Sometimes the the, the it's the 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 hurt is so deep. It goes it just in one, just won't give, and the other just won't give. And the best thing you can do is split. Sometimes nobody's wrong. Sometimes there's really no wrong person. Is Paul really wrong for saying, nah, I don't want him to go? I mean, he did exactly what he said. Well, he left us once. And Barnabas is going, yeah, but I know the kid. He's a good guy. I know he's young. Give him a second chance. Is he wrong? Sometimes there's just you can't get over it, though. And the best thing you can do is split and just go your own way. You're still brothers and sisters in Christ. You're still, you know, you don't have to hate the person. You don't smear them. You don't do anything. You don't, Paul's never spoken of as saying a bad word about Barnabas. He never says a bad word about Barnabas. And yet the dissension was bad enough that they split. I want us to go to 1 Peter. In the 5th chapter. <clears throat> it starts in at the very end of your Bible. Peter's so short in my Bible, it's like a page and a half. Okay, now the 5th chapter and the 13th verse says, Now the church that is at Babylon, we don't know what that means. He's probably referring to the church that was in Jerusalem. But then again, he may have been referring to Rome. We're not certain. He says, the church that is at Babylon, elected together with you, salute you, and so does Marcus, or Mark, my son. Mark went with Barnabas, and then after going with Barnabas, got introduced to Peter, which we actually know he knew Peter because when Peter got out of jail earlier, he went to John Mark's mom's house. But Peter took Mark in, and it says there, he seen him like a son. To him, to Peter, John Mark was like a son. To the point that he talk, took them along with them. They lived together. They worked together. They, Mark became his, an interpreter. Mark became incredibly good with languages. He could speak. One of the things of Peter, one of his Peter's issues is Peter was uneducated. He couldn't read. Think about it. He has two, book, he has two letters in the Bible he couldn't read. He was uneducated. When he spoke, the other people would say, well, we know this guy where this guy is from because he sounds like he doesn't know what he's talking about. And yet, Peter is one of the great founders of our faith. And Mark came along, and he was a, a translator. He translated in certain different languages. Mark having a lot of different Greek, Hebrew, probably new Latin. And then Mark, f- listening to Peter, working with Peter, going with Peter, eventually he got all these stories together, and he was the first one that thought, you know what, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to put all these stories about Christ together in a book. And the book of Mark is the first gospel written. It may not have been the first letter written, but it was definitely the first gospel written. Mark triumphed over this split. Matter of fact, the split may have actually helped Mark. Because instead of going with, with Paul, who was a very dominant personality, who was a very in-charge, hands-on sort of person, Paul with the Corinthians, which the Corinthians were a terrible group of people, but In the second book of the letter to the Corinthians, Paul apologizes because when Paul came back to the Corinthians, evidently he was laying the wood down. I mean, he was getting loud. He actually says that he feels like he bruised people. He was too hard with them. So as a way to get around it, to apologize, he sent Titus, who had beautiful language, who was a great person to work with. And Titus was able to actually straighten up a lot of problems in the Corinthian church. See, sometimes a kind word does more than a, Angry (laughs) Sometimes you need that that alternative. Mm -hmm. Paul was a little bit of a hothead. Paul was a dominant personality. Type A personality. Get it done. Titus, full of words, full of wisdom. Sweet, he he could work. Barnabas, full of wisdom. Sweet, he could work. Letting Mark go with Barnabas. Mark learned from Barnabas. Mark then gets on with Peter, and he learns from Peter. He understands from Peter. He grows through Peter. he never gotten rid of Paul, getting loose from Paul, he may never have grown. How could he truly write? You notice Paul does not write a gospel. Because he wasn't there for it. But Mark writes a gospel, even though he wasn't there for it. Why? Because he had Peter, a source of information. He had Peter to help strengthen his faith, to grow him as a person, to show him what leadership was. Mark may have been better off because of the split. God, we, we think, was terrible. Wow, the greatest evangelistic team ever. God had a better thing in mind. Mm-hmm. The split may have hurt. It may have hurt them. It may have, they might have had bad feelings for a while afterwards. But God had something better in the works, yeah. a way to mature, a way to grow the church in a way that it wouldn't have grown otherwise. Sometimes the best thing you can do is, you can, is to move out from underneath the person who started you out. Sometimes you have a preacher and he starts a young kid out. The kid can only grow so much because the preacher is there. He has, to, he has to step out on his own before he can fully mature and grow. So John Mark, think about how he must have felt that first day knowing that he split up this group. And yet, seven, eight years later, he would write the gospel that would be in our Bible today. He would inspire Matthew and Luke to write their gospels, because Matthew and Luke both take from Mark. He, was, he did a lot of great things, turning something from a bad situation into a good situation. Why? Because the Holy Spirit was in them, was leading them throughout it. Sometimes the split is not as bad as it seems, because from us, we're, we see it in our momentary situation. We see just this momentary thing. But see, God, maybe he sees it as multiplying. Yeah. Maybe he sees it as multiplying. Yeah. When you have two together and then you split, and each one of them grow up two, now you got four. And if they move, it's multiplying the church. Had they been together, it may have never happened that way. So sometimes the best thing you can do is to split Because it doesn't, that's the only way you can avoid hurting the gospel. To sit and gossip, oh, that person I don't like about the person, that's going to hurt the gospel. To to go behind someone's back, that's going to hurt the gospel. To, in any way, sometimes it's better for that distance. Fences make great neighbors sometimes. (laughs) Fences make great neighbors sometimes. But I want to go... To Colossians. So it's back just a few pages from where you're at in your Bible. Colossians. This is what is known as the, uh, the prison letters by Paul. Paul was in prison in the mid 50s and he wrote uh, four letters while he was in there to several people. Several reasons for it. And you can tell, too, because they're very similar in theme. That he was writing them trying to just get out the good word, get out what's going on. But Colossians chapter 4. And the 10th verse, it says... Well, we can do that with because that's how we know they were written together is because Onesimus in the ninth verse is there, who Onesimus is the slave that ran away in Philemon. But Onesimus, we'll start in nine. With Onesimus, a faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, meaning a slave <laughs> in God, Christ, they shall make known to you all things which are done here, meaning that's who he sent because he's in prison, obviously. And my fellow prisoner, salutes you. And Marcus, sisters, the sister's son of Barnabas, touching whom you received commandments, if he come to you, receive him. We're talking about, he's in prison. He's saying, I'm sending people out. And by the way, if you see Marcus coming out with you, receive him. He even talks about the fact that he, you know, touching whom he received, whom he's received commandments. So, Paul knew about the fact that Mark had written the gospel. And he's saying, the guy who wrote the gospel that you guys are reading, he, I'm sending him out. Because Paul didn't know if he was getting out of prison. So, he's sending people out. Luke is there. He's sending him out. Onesimus is there. He's sending him out. He's sending, he's sending all the Anastarchists. He's sending all these people that he collected. Paul, and obviously, I mean, type A personalities tend to get a following. He was bringing these guys up and then he was sending them out. He's in jail. He's like, I don't know if I'm getting out or not. You go here and you bring this. You go there and bring that message. You go there and bring this. And by the way, if any of you see Mark coming to you, accept him. Accept him. So we know that at least here, 10, 15 years later, Paul forgave him. There's nothing to say that he didn't. The division didn't mean that he hated him for the rest of his life. He, right there, you see him see Mark? Accept him. He's there. He's one of us. He's the one that wrote. See, sometimes the split happens, but there's reconciliation. There's reconciliation. There's a misunderstanding of what's going on, but sometimes the reconciliation, and that reconciliation makes the whole thing sweeter. That, that coming back together makes it so much sweeter. Think about that. Think about if this had never been in here. And I'm just t- telling you about how, the, oh yeah, and they split. And by the way. But here we're talking about some years later, Paul's talking. And we get to say, they obviously reconciled. they obviously, there wasn't this split that was so bad that they wouldn't recommend each other. They recommend each other to one another. Yeah. There was a reconciliation. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Sometimes you need to separate for a period of time. And then you come back together because both sides need to grow. Sometimes it, it, the worst thing you can do is say, okay, it's forever. You need to let the spirit lead. Yeah. You need to let the spirit guide. Yeah. From where we're at, we're going to jump to our right, to Second Timothy 4. This is about 10 years later, 9, 10 years later. Paul is writing because writing he's getting ready to see Nero, and he knows he's at the end of his life. This he he's not going to be around much longer. Second Timothy. And he's sending this to Timothy, who was the bishop of Ephesus at the time. And he's letting him know, listen, you know, we're doing great things here in Rome. Even while he was in Rome, he was doing great things. Building a church, doing things. Now, he was under house arrest, which means, unlike the other time, he was in a dungeon. This time he actually could go outside. He had a big ball and chain that was wrapped to him. He'd walk around with and carry. That way people knew he was wanted. But he was walking around preaching. That's where he found Onesimus. He found him out in the square. He was walking around in the marketplace and saw Onesimus and said, hey. And Onesimus said, oh. So he's building a church. He's under house arrest and he's going out and preaching every day. Going out and doing the thing. Building the church up. But now times are getting dark. Evidently, Paul wrote the second Timothy knowing that times were short. He didn't have much time at all. So we see in the ninth, starting in the ninth verse of the fourth chapter, it says, Do your diligence to come shortly to me. He's talking to Timothy. I mean, very in in diligence, haste. Ten, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and departed. To Thessalonica, meaning Themis felt scared and he took off running. Now Crescens to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia, which Titus is going to do his work, do his job. He says, only Luke is with me. Take Mark and bring him with you, for he is profitable to me for ministry. He's profitable for ministry. Timothy eventually was evidently working with Mark, and Paul came to the realization that, you know what? Mark, I can trust him. Bring him, I'm going to charge him, and I'm going to send him out because he's profitable. He's profitable to the gospel. There's never a division or a cut too deep that God can't kill it if you let him. There's never... You know, a it might, at the time it tears, a bone might break and it hurts. And it sometimes it hurts worse to reset it than it did when it got broke in the first place. But sometimes it needs that so that it can be profitable. The healing, the scarring is what builds the character yeah. of people yeah. oftentimes. It's what builds the character of a church oftentimes. We... Sometimes need that separation, but don't cast off forever. We need to leave place for the Holy Spirit, for reconciliation. There may have been things in the past. Someone comes back, can't cast off forever. It's never say never with God. You never know what he's going to do. God can do all things, and he works all things to an ultimate end. We may not understand now. It may hurt bad now. It may look like it's never getting bright ever again. And when I'm preaching this, I'm preaching it to myself. Because this last few weeks has been tough. (laughs) It has been tough. I mean, I've almost walked away a couple of times. It has been so tough. I need this more than you guys probably do. Because it's sometimes God puts you through things and It's just to build you because you would not be built other any other way, yeah. yeah. And with this, Paul would never have been the Paul we know had this split never happened. Barnabas would never have been the Barnabas, even and Mark would never have been the Mark we needed had this never happened. What we do for evil, God has a plan for good, yeah. Yeah. Don't cast off forever, keep your heart open all things. Yeah. We have misunderstandings. What Paul and Barnabas did is just a misunderstanding. With the Holy Spirit, all things are possible, yeah. Yeah. including reconciliation. If that's what God wants, as power has